<laughs> what if it just always started like that? What if every time we started, we just went, uh, and just pick different notes, and then we should figure out if we ever pick the same note. I think that would be like when we win. When that we would win be the like day. when another dimension would open. Oh, <gasps> that would be our elevator. That'd be the fifth floor of the elevator. That's the woman. That's the one. What's her name? Karen. <laughs> oh, the woman that gets on the elevator. Definitely yeah. Karen. So, my aunt has been going over to my grandmother's house, going through her items systematically, frequently. Mm. It's now like week two or three of her doing this. She kind of like knows the house backwards forwards. She's kind of urging me, go through this drawer. This has this in it. You should take something. Oh, this is, I thought maybe you'd like this. This is cute. Whatever it was. So, I, at one point, I am... We're getting kind of close to leaving, and I go into kind of the more formal living room in the house, mm-hmm. and there's a record player area and table, and I see a little present sitting on top. Um, it's about this big, so I don't know, maybe one, you know, two inches it by like, like four inches. Box. It looks tiny. like a little ring box. Yeah, it's wrapped. It's on a table. And I walk over to it, and I pick it up and look at it. And it says Quinn on it in my grandma's handwriting on the wrapping paper. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I go over to show my Aunt Elaine. I'm like, check this out. And she's like, where did you get that? And I tell her. And she's like, I've been here like every day. I haven't seen that. (gasps) And it was just beyond bizarre. Like beyond. And old. Like it was old looking and feeling. Um. I'll show you a picture of the wrapping paper. It's like vintagey looking Christmas paper. It's like yellow. It's like and the it, white is not yes, white. It's yellow. Exactly. And just so weird. And then I opened it and it was um like a little stack of stationary paper that size tiny. And it says think big on <gasps> it. And it's a weird thing to wrap because you're like trying to think about like I want to say the last 20 years of my life, like the first 15 of my life maybe or whatever, my grandma would give me gifts at Christmas and they would be wrapped and say my name on them. But the last many, many years, she would maybe send a card. Sometimes it would have like a check in it, sometimes not. But the idea was like we no longer, I no longer once I kind of left Denver was around where you would do like a, physical gift ever and so it felt like it was from a really long time ago it also felt strange because she would get all of us like one gift and I don't know I'd put the gift uh price tag around I don't know maybe 20 to 40 bucks or something certainly not a little stack of paper it didn't feel like it would have ever been a gift for me in a way where it felt like a communication like in a way where it was like This makes no sense for such a variety of ways that it truly feels like I'm being communicated with. And I've never had anything like that before where I would say that. I love that. I love that so much. And I also think like it feels so timely for you. Oh, definitely. It feels like 
something that like you should hear over and over again and you should see over and over again like on a little stack of paper and it feels like what a grandma would say to you like it feels truly like if I was like I'm going through all these changes and I'm starting all these new creative endeavors it feels like she'd be like think big you know like that's just so yeah or it's like you can do like it just feels like encouragement it feels oh I love that it's the best so much for you you know, my feeling on paranormal stuff is I don't I don't know, right? Like, mm-hmm. my religious beliefs, I'm agnostic. Like, I, I just, like, I've basically declared uncertainty. I'm an independent, if you will, of, of religion and spirituality. I will. Regardless of if it is someone communicating with you or not, like, the fact that this thing happened, it, like, got you in the heart. It got you in the feels. It made you feel like less alone and like your grandma was communicating. You found that when you were supposed to. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. It's a good one. It's so good. And it doesn't feel darkly. It just feels no, truly lightly truly creeply. And lightly it's got a light hint of creeply in it because how could it because not? But the it, fact that it was like on a record player too, like and did you keep the wrapping paper? Yeah, I kept the wrapping paper. And you, where kept, it says Quinn where and your grandma's totally, handwriting. Totally, like totally. I love that shit. I love um, that shit so much. You know what? I will post a picture of the wrapping Please. paper on our Instagram. Please. Follow us at truly darkly creeply if you want to see contact from the afterlife absolutely aka by the way we grandma. should introduce the podcast this is truly darkly creepy and i'm carrie ipama i'm quinlan posner and sarah axel has something she's trying to communicate to me <gasps> a you mean a by the way you're it sounds like a baby orgasm it's like, oh god that's you're killing me with that <laughs> the way you just did it was like oh. okay it's more like um i can't think of it because now. now it's just <gasps> that's what he does sorry it's your son whatever tell me a story my story dear readers this week is the donner party what Yeah, the Donner Party, also commonly known as the Donner Reed Party, which, like, wouldn't it be a real bitch to just be James Reed, that was his name, and, like, have Donner take all the credit? But I guess in this story, you would want Donner to take the credit. I don't think you want that credit. It's a weird story because it involved many families. Like, it wasn't just the Donner family. I know 100% zero about this. You know a little bit. I think, like, anyone who's watched Gilmore Girls knows a little bit about it. I haven't watched Gilmore Girls. You Do not care to. It's a great show. Highly recommend. I'm too busy. I actually talked to my therapist about it. That's a whole other conversation. Okay, so the Donner Party is American pioneers who are migrating out west. So this happened in 1846. So it was funny. I was actually talking to someone yesterday, and they were like, oh, I thought that was in the 80s in Mount Everest. None of that is true. <laughs> Very clear. It's not in the 80s. It's not a so Mount Everest. you're going to do this one. You're going to tell us what it didn't What it's include. not. So I'm going to tell everything it's not. Then we're going to see what we could piece together at the end. Cool. So it was in 1846. And basically what I loved about this story is it really brought back a lot of memories of Oregon Trail. Do you remember that game, Oregon Trail? Of course. Do you, you know, know that... Oh, bleep that name. Has gout? 
Yeah. I'm sorry, but when he told me, I was like, oh, and are you traveling on the Oregon Trail later this week? What are you talking about? You have gout. Like, what year is it? Isn't gout like a bone infection? A bone on your foot? It's the same as dysentery. No, it's not. But it's it's in the same category it's as cholera. things that aren't. It's, it's cholera, cholera, dysentery, and tuberculosis. And do you want to ford the river? Knowing that you have gout, are you going to make a choice to ford the river? I actually still have three CD-ROM of Oregon Trail in Chicago that I kept because I was like, I can't get rid of that. So, the Donner Party. So this happened in 1846, and there were a ton of families migrating from, like, the Midwest area over to California because it was at that time where it was, like, manifest destiny where, like, a lot of Europeans were like, if we settle it, it's ours now, which, as we know, is terrible and had such negative effects on the indigenous populations. So the original Donner Party was, like, 81 people. I had, like, some conflicting numbers, but essentially the majority of it said 81 folks. Initially, they left, like, from Springfield, Illinois, and then they like would take stop offs on the way to go out west um and the families um obviously the donner the donner family the graves breens murphys eddies mccutchinson's kessenbergs the wolfingers and the reed family and also solo travelers and the craziest thing i think about this that i found out was more than half were kids under 18 and including six infants Oh, dang. And there was this guy, James Reed, who was sort of one of the leaders. Um, he was like a military guy, but people really didn't like him. So basically, George Donner and Jacob Donner like were the two kind of male leaders. They were like nicest and they were kind. And so they kind of were like leading the pack. So they left May 12th of 1946. Now, they knew that the route was going to be like four to six months to take. Sorry, where are they going? They're going out west. They're going to California. Oh, okay. Of course, hindsight being 2020, I found a lot of reports that were like, they left too late. Like, they were like really on the cusp of leaving too late. And even, not even hindsight, even at the time, there were people that were documenting me like, they're really cutting it close. They're not getting their shit together. They're not getting their oxen. They're not going to that trading post and getting like all their supplies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're leaving a little late. So they left May 12th and they should have left in April. They go to Black Forks, and they're planning on taking this thing called the Hastings Cutoff. Now, there was another path to the West, Mm -hmm. um, and this guy called Lansford Hastings basically forged this new path, right? And it was through the mountains. It basically cut 350 miles off the total journey, and he was like, guys, come on over to this path. It's great. At the time that the Donner Party was going to take this path, only two people had completed that path. So it was still really freaking new, which is such a gamble. Like, And there are people like warning me, like, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't take that, mm-hmm. especially because they had like so many wagons. And apparently Lansford Hastings, it's a hard name to say, he was basically like riding a horse. Like he didn't have kids, oxen, mules, wagons, right? right. So he was like... He went on a one-man hike, and they were like, we'll follow suit. This is great. And so they're like, we have 81 people who had, like, children. Let's try that. So anyway, so by the time they get to, like, one of the stopping points, they're already, like, a month behind. 
schedule because mm-hmm. it took them an additional month because they had to like the, the inclines were super steep. The declines were super steep. They had to like lock the wheels of their wagons. Oxen like left, like ran away. Like they were depleted. There was not enough like food or anything for all these people. So they're like already weak. Mm-hmm. And previously a journalist named Edwin Bryant he had taken this path and he was like, yo, I know this group coming down. I feel like they shouldn't do this. This is a really bad idea. So he at one of the, at Black Forks, he left them a note that was like, hey, don't take this path. Like, don't find another path. This is not safe. And apparently there was this guy called Jeff Bridger And he had a bunch of trading posts along the route that he knew he would profit more if they took Hastings cut off. And so the letter mysteriously disappeared and no one got the letter. So it was Jeff Bridges' fault all along. I love Jeff Bridger. He's like such a bad guy and he's like full like capitalist. Like I'm about to make so much money if this goes well. Like, so they continued on Hastings' cutoff, and no one was really guiding them. And, like, in fact, Hastings had left, like, letters in trees and stuff to, like, show them which way to go. And so it's they like were... a scavenger hunt. Truly, like, the sort weird, of fun sort when you of put it like fun. that. So on July 31st, they left Black Forks and were continuing on Hastings' um, cutoff. The Hastings' cutoff, um, it was a more direct route. It bypassed the established trails... It crossed um, Utah's um, Wasatch Mountains and the Great Salt Lake Desert. Um, The train was terrible. um, And people were like, here's what I found a lot of when I was researching it. It was a fraught journey as is. Like a lot of disagreements. Like a lot of, some people were like, I don't think we should take Hastings cut off. James Reed was like, let's take Hastings cut off. Apparently there was like a duel. James Reed got like kicked out and was forced to leave his family because he killed someone and there was no laws in the wild oh west. So like it, it was just like fraught. Well, it's like, Deadwood. It's, it's Deadwood it's, on wheels. It's I actually don't know Deadwood. Oh, I'll kill you. It's incredible. Okay. Um, I'm thinking it's more like... Have some respect for yourself. Westworld. see that. It's just like Westworld. So, so tell me what the robots did. Everyone's robots. That's what we're learning. Everything is robots. So anyway, so on August 6th, so a week later, uh, there was a letter found at advising them to stop until there was someone there to show them an alternate route, but they just kept going. And so cattle was gone wagons were gone like just depleting like no resources by november they headed toward the sierra nevada mm-hmm. i love their beer you love a good beer but on november 4th they were trapped due to early snowfall so like mm. them leaving late <laughs> they were like a month delayed they just kind of like perfect recipe perfect for disaster. Perfect recipe for disaster. So November fourth, early snowfall, and it was a storm that lasted for eight days. They were trapped near this Truckee Lake that is now called Donner Lake. Oh, don't like the, the sound of that. Don't like the sound of that. High up in the mountains, right? So there were two separate camps. One camp was just the Donner Camp, and it was twenty-one people. It was six men, three women, and twelve children. And the other camp, it was the Breen Graves, um, Murphys, Reeds, Kessenbergs, and Eddie family. And there were 60 members in that camp. Um, it was 19 men over 18, 12 were women, and 29 were children, six of whom were toddlers or younger. First of all, like, can you imagine traveling 
I'm sounding with like six so toddlers. Bad. I mean, and I think there was something that I had read too where Catholics were even like, oh, sweet, like we're going to be able to practice freely in California. So I wonder if there was some like religious persecution happening and that's why they were leaving. But like such a, like a four to six month journey with children, like what are you running away from? This feels really bad. I do not like to go on a four hour plane ride with one toddler. So yeah, so I I can't imagine. I I can't imagine. The food supplies were really low. Cattle died because of the winter. Like there was no grass for cattle to eat. Carcasses of the cattle were and oxen were like frozen, stacked. Pioneers didn't really know how to fish. Don't know why that was like a special (laughs) skill, but I love that. But one bear was killed by the like patriarchal Eddie, the Mr. Eddie, we're going to call him. Yeah, one bear. Good job, Eddie. Good job, Mr. Eddie. What's really sad is so the storm happened the 4th and it was like a eight-day storm. And on November 12th, a small group tried to go and get help, but couldn't. Um, over the next week, two more attempts. Were, so they kept trying to leave, but like... They could not leave. They couldn't leave. They were just no, stuck. fucking stuck, guys. Um, so the weather was so bad, like they wouldn't leave their tents for days at a time. They had the craziest diet. So basically they were just, they were starving, right? And so they would... These snowshoes that they made, um, they had some snowshoes, but they had ox hide that was like their tent covering that they would boil and make like a glue-like jelly substance Mm -hmm. that they would eat just for something. Right. They repeatedly boil the bones of the cattle just to get any broth. Over and over. So over and over again. So that they crumbled to the touch. Like the bones crumbled from being boiled too much. In the Donner camp, three men had died, including Jacob Donner. Um, George Donner's hand was infected, so they only had like four men to work. So there was like not enough men to do the work. The women were like taking care of the children. Um, there were a lot of really... Typical. <laughs> there were a lot of reports of like women doing crazy things to protect their children because there were just so many kids. In mid-December, um, some group members left and this became the mission called the Four Lorn Hope. Whoa, who the named it that? It's pretty, have... somebody was up there writing poetry. Seriously, the Forlorn Hope. So um, Franklin Graves, one of the families, um, he made 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and hide, um, and 17 men, women, and children set out on foot to cross the mountain. Now, at this point, they're incredibly malnourished. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, two headed back right away. So it was now a total of 15 going on this mission. They were camping in snow 12 feet deep. And by three days in, they were snow blind. Do you know what snow blindness is? Yeah, I actually do. I had to look it up, but it's basically like overexposure of the corneas. Yeah, because the reflective. It's like why you wear goggles when you ski and why like even if it's not a super sunny day, if you're driving and there's like, uh, especially in Colorado, if there's like snow covered mountains, you got to wear shades because that shit just the amount of like the reflective so like it's just like uv burning your eyes Mm -hmm. so at three days in snow blind so one member this guy stanton he was like really struggling and he was like listen you guys go on without me they're like about to continue the next day he's like i'll catch up in a minute a year later, they found his remains at that. He just died. No, I mean, people were just dying. Well, basically dying. So um, this is where it gets juicy. 
No pun intended. Creeply. Juicy creeply. So after the food ran out, they were like two days without food. And now they're traveling by foot and cold. Like your body, I love winter because my body just burns calories. You know what I mean? Like quick. I have hot chocolate. I try to replenish it, but it burns because you're so cold. Your body is trying to keep you warm. So imagine like traveling in the dead winter and not having in two days no food and you're already malnourished. So they were getting really fucking desperate. So this guy, Patrick Dolan, proposed that one of them should volunteer to die so the rest could eat. So this is when they started introducing... So really, why is it not the Dolan party? It sounds like it was this guy's (laughs) deal, right? I don't know. I honestly, I think because the Donners became the leader of this group... Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. It's it doesn't even weird. sound like it was their trip. It, it's like it's like all these other characters. That I'm like, like where's it was like I get Jacob and George Donner. I don't have like much other information. Yeah, it's just interesting that they went with that. <laughs> I guess they're like, I really would like. I don't care. Listen, I don't care what legacy my family has as long as people know my name. <laughs> Patrick's like, one of you volunteer to get eaten, and the, the other, other one volunteer to have the idea named after them. It's not going to be me, I can tell you right now. I'll say the idea. Patrick. I just think it's otter system. It's not my like. I'm just going to say it, but I don't want. I don't, I don't no, want. No credit want. necessary. No, listen, this is something I don't want royalties. I don't want residuals. Who volunteered? So they were like debating. They're like, how do we decide who dies? And they're like, it could be a lottery. It could be a duel. This is how I imagine it. They're like freezing and like malnourished. And I'm twitching when I say this. And and Patrick Dolan's like, hey, guys, I got a crazy idea. What if one of us like died and we like ate him? (laughs) I'm just like. Throwing it out there. I'm just spitballing, folks. Hey, I just don't get mad. I'm don't just get spitballing. Listen, we're chill. Maybe it's like a duel or like a lottery. Do you Whatever. Remember, do you remember that short story you read in junior high, the lottery? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. They were like, funny, Patrick. Ha, 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 LOL. And then they kept walking. And then um, someone died. Patrick, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Patrick. His name was Antonio, and he was the animal handler. He was the first to go. Now, they're not eating him yet. Then... Oh. Franklin Graves. But then Franklin, I don't know why I have that. <laughs> That's all you wrote? Then Frank, <laughs> I'm like, take it, like, yeah, yeah, more, more, more. Then, wait, this is crazy. Patrick Dolan, a dear reader, our propositioner, which is why I actually don't know if this is true. Apparently, he began to rant deliriously. And this is winter. Apparently, he stripped off all of his clothes, ran into the woods, he returned shortly after and died a few hours later. Yeah, you can't go skinny dipping in the woods. I mean, in the winter going, in the Sierra Nevada. In his defense, he was snow blind, and so he didn't know. He didn't know. Anyway, um, so one of the guys, Murphy, was so close to death that some of the group began to eat the flesh from Dolan's body. They roasted wait, and wait, ate wait, it. Wait, 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 wait. Explain yeah. that one more time. Of course. This is why I actually don't know if Dolan came up with the idea, because it sounds like his body was the first to be consumed. And well, so I feel like somebody like, was like, not on me, no, not on no, me, not no, on it me. It might have been that he, it sounds like, if you're freezing to death, I think you do go a little I mean, this mental. is, I think, what makes us so scary, is I think that, like, we our human instinct is to survive, right? And so I think... If I was ever, I hate to say this, but I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer as tribute. If I was like near death's door 
and like there was no other option, I think I would resort to this mode of survival. I think anybody would. If you I think don't what rely happened, though, is he was like, Patrick was like maybe affected more by the cold and the, started losing it. So it makes sense that A, he'd be like, I have this idea, let's eat people. Because he's like <laughs> losing his mind. And then the second thing that happens is he runs into the woods naked and dies. But I also see equally as much that like the group's like, I know Patrick didn't come up with this, but like, let's credit this idea to him. Because it was him they ate Because he first. died. And so like, it's like, he oh, can't, he defend, can't himself. defend himself. So yeah. who knows who came up with who it? Who knows? Your but point. I actually like the idea of Patrick being like, I got this crazy idea. Anyway, let's, let's keep walking. No, but it's just like, ugh. It's just like, ugh. Let's see. Let let's, it marinate. I, let's like think about it. No pun intended. So, so they Patrick told us, so they ate Patrick because Patrick. he was freshly dead. Like he had just died. And so they were like, oh, fresh meat. And they roasted him and ate his body. So there were people that refused to eat the body initially. It was sure. Mr. Eddie. It was a Eddie religious who, group too, right? It was a religious group. But at that point, they were like, I, I got to survive. Right, right, right. Um, but there were these guys, Salvador and Luis. Um, mm-hmm. And they were members of um, the Miwok. I, I'm not sure. I think it's like a, one of the Mexican indigenous. I don't totally know much about the Miwok people. Okay. I feel like I should have maybe done that. Mm, you had enough on your plate, but what's uh? Anytime you make any plate reference, it's like it's I'm so not easy. It's For the so record, easy. I'm not trying You're, to be you like. You can't nah, try. Nah, 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 nah. Um, Salvador and Luis, they were like they were people that were hired to sort of like help, and they were on this forlorn hope mission, and they refused to eat the body along with Mister Eddie, who, as we remember, had killed the bear earlier. So the next morning, the group stripped the muscles and organs from the bodies of Antonio Dolan, Graves, and Murphy. They dried them to store them for days ahead, taking care to ensure that nobody would have to eat his or her relatives. Ooh. (laughs) So, like, because this was, like, family community going, like, they had to be, like, okay, this is this family. Anyone in the Dolan clan, like, you can't eat this one. That's so dark. So Yeah, it dark. doesn't make you feel that much better if they're like, oh, don't come over here a minute. You're like, <laughs> I know what you're doing. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I can't imagine. I can't. The psychological trauma, like. <clears throat> okay, so um, after three days of rest, they set on off again. Eddie, Mr. Eddie, the bear who initially refused to eat, he finally succumbed um, to hunger and ate human flesh. It was gone. They dried up. It was gone. Mm -hmm. So they began taking apart their snowshoes to eat the ox hide, you know, boil it into that like gluey jelly substance. And then everybody started discussing. They were like, you know what? All of us are related. What about that Luis and Salvador guy? They were like, I think we should kill them and eat them. Because everything, the food was all gone. And so Mr. Eddie went up to them and was like, yo, these people are talking about killing you. I think you should get out. He tattled. He tattled. Because right. I think Mr. Eddie, he's, he's, coming out, strong... he's coming out on top in this story for me. Oh, for sure. I like him. He killed a bear. I don't lo- like, you know, but that provided a lot of food for people. And nobody else knew how to fish. He was like, here's a bear. Okay, so. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> so horrible. So um, the two men quietly left. At this point, this guy, Jay Fosdick, he died during the night. So now there are only seven members of this party remaining 
Do they eat J? I assume. I assume they eat J. Or are they standing on that family thing still? So here's what's crazy. So Jay Fosdick, his, that's a or terrible Fos. last name, Jay. I hope it's spelled correctly here. It could be wrong. I'm sorry the, to the Fosdick family. I. <laughs> it's not funny. That's actually a question. Do they eat like every, anyway. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast. Fosdick. So this is it's crazy. So Jay Fosdick, this guy, died during the night, so only seven members of the party was left. Mr. Eddie and this woman, Mary Graves, who, as we know, is the, the wife of the Graves that had died, mm-hmm. they left to go hunting. And so they were like, all right, guys, chill. Like, maybe, like, let's chill. Like, maybe we don't need to eat this one. Like, I know we were, like, really crazy before. Like, let's chill. So they go and they kill a deer and they come back with the deer meat and his body had already been cut apart for food. <laughs> so, like, people are hungry. People are hungry. Okay, so after several more days, so this is 25 days since they left Truckee Lake, which is now Donner Lake, um, they came across, yes, Salvador and Luis. Oh, Salvi and Luis. Are they? So they're alive. They're alive. But they had but not, not eaten long. in nine days. And were very close to death. So William Foster shot the pair, believing their flesh was the rest of the group's last hope of avoiding imminent death from starvation. Ooh, so that's the first murder. murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Got they it. were murdered. So on January 12th, the group stumbled into a Miwok camp, which I feel like is just like not cool because they had just killed Luis and Salvador. Um, but they walked into the Miwok camp looking um, so deteriorated that the camp's inhabitants initially fled. Like, they looked so fucking scary that people were like, no, 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 They thought it was white walkers. They were like, it's, this is it. They were like, those are white walkers. They're white walkers. I'm out. I'm done. But the Miwoks, I just, like, they gave them, like, acorns, grass, pine nuts to eat. Um, and after a few days, Eddie continued on with the help of a Miwok to a ranch in a small farming community at the edge of Sacramento Valley. Oh, they made it. They made it. They made it. Yeah. And, the and was Eddie like, them. go back to this lake? Um, but they quickly assembled a rescue party and found the other six survivors on January 17th. So what I think happened was on the journey from Truckee Lake to like finding people was 33 days Eight died, leaving two men and five women Mm. survived. Mm. What's crazy is from what I read, and again, like a lot of, I like History Channel, Wikipedia, donate to Wikipedia, like a lot of like little things here and there. Apparently they were only 90 miles from their final destination on the mountain. But because it was so dangerous, I mean, it took them 30 days. So... Back at camp, at the camp where, like, the rest of everybody was kind of, like, waiting to be rescued, um, by January they were forced to, st- so they had made, they had made this, like, glue substance from the ox hide. They were starting to force to eat their own homes, right, because they were protected by the ox hide. Mm-hmm. So they had to start eating their own homes. What's crazy is that the family graves, so two of them had left on this forlorn hope mission. The rest of them were there. They were, like, pretty affluent, and they had, like, a lot of supplies with them. The Reed family, I think, was, like, basically done for. Like, certain, like, there were different sort of amounts of, like, affluent people. Mm-hmm. And so some people had more resources than others. And it just became, like, 
pretty crazy. Where you're not sharing your shit because yeah. your well, life depends this one on cra- it. This one was crazy to me. So the Graves family had loaned money to the Reed family um, because, I don't know if you remember, James Reed, their father, was like kicked out because he killed someone. Um, so it was just like the mom and the kids and they didn't have much money. And the Graves was like, we'll lend you this money. When we get to California, you're going to pay us a shit ton of money for what we've given you. But at this point, it was like so dire that they came up to them and they were like, listen, taking back like this is ours. I'm sorry. We need to eat, too. So they took their ox hide from them so that they could eat them. And then the Reed family had to like go into like different sort of like shelters and sort of be, you know, Right. Um, yeah. So basically at that camp, several people died from malnutrition, obviously, but the rest managed to kind of survive on boiled leather and tree bark until the rescue parties arrived in February. But it took February, March and April to get people out of there. Like it was such a long rescue mission because not all of the settlers were strong enough to escape. There was this guy who apparently, like, took, like, six kids and, like, took turns, like, carrying them. Like, basically, he'd, like, carry two at a time and, like, leave, put them down, go back, pick up two more kids, like, leave, come back. And, like, did this the whole time to, like, help these people escape. All told, it says, roughly half of the Donner Party survivors had eventually eaten humans. So half the people that survived survived by eating people. By eating people. Half um, survived and didn't. Um, it took... You probably wish that wasn't the statistic if you were an eater. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I think... Well, this is what's crazy. Because it's hard it's to lie on, more, like, well, I had to to survive well, if crazy. there's other people that didn't do it and happened to survive. More women survived than men of this thing. And mm. they attribute it to, like, stored body fat. Holla! <laughs> Holla at you women. Yeah. Stuart body fat. But also, I think the men were doing a lot of the physical labor. And so they were, like, much more depleted. Right. So it took four rescue attempts. It's this guy, Louis Kesseberg. He was the last survivor to be rescued. And they found him in a cabin with a pot full of human flesh, pistols, jewelry, and gold belonging to George Donner. And apparently he said that George's wife was like, hey, keep these for safekeeping right before she died. And Hmm. um, the rescuers accused him of murder. So sounds like another murder. It sounds like another. But they accused him of murder and then nearly killed him for it. But they didn't. The rest of his life, there was just like, everybody was like, this Kesseberg guy is a fucking murderer. He's terrible. And rumors circulated that he preferred human flesh to beef. And once claimed that Tamsin Donner's liver, the wife of George Donner, was the, quote, sweetest morsel he'd ever tasted. Whoa, what are the odds you'd legit have a cuckoo also there? I guess one in 81 are the odds exactly. So I do think it should be noted that the mothers and wives in the Donner Party, this group of people... They fought ferociously to protect their families in an interesting sort of turn. So George Donner was too weak to leave to be rescued. And his wife, Tamsin, refused to leave her husband's dying side. And so that's when she died. And then apparently Lewis, that guy, mm, ate her liver. Tamsin. That's so, so sad. 81 pioneers of the Donner Party, 45 survived, 
there were 15 solo travelers along with the family, and all but two of those died. I think they fared worse than Makes the families. Sense. No one's looking out for them. Exactly. Um, a little interesting piece of information that I found that I will share is that Mr. I guess I should say President Abraham Lincoln considered joining the Donner Party because they started in Springfield, Illinois. And as you all know, Abe Lincoln is the pride and joy of Illinois. And um, but apparently his wife, Mary Todd, uh, opposed the idea. Sally Fields. She yeah. was like, no, we're not she, doing Sally it. Fields was like, you know what, Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis, I'm not interested. Hard pass for me. You, why did um, that go all the way with everything, the, Daniel? Out of all of this, that was the weirdest piece of trivia I found, was that Abraham Lincoln was, was a part of the Donner Party. It's bizarre. I gotta tell you, could you imagine how different history would be without an Abraham Lincoln? Anyway. No, I don't know history well enough to do that. So but. that is the story of the Donner Party, and it all could have been avoided if this capitalist fucking dude showed them the letter where it was like, hey, don't take this path. In fairness, they were warned. But this guy, Lansford Hastings. So what's the moral? The moral is, I think I'm going to say it again. No, trust your blank. Trust your blank. So that is the story of the Donner Party. Good job, Carrie. I mean, I hope I covered it all. It was, you know, we hope. I don't think we're ever going to. We're not going to cover it all, but like basically. (sighs) Oh, my God. Guess where I'm meeting tonight, dear readers. Where? Olive Garden, baby. Oh, that's right. I'm going to Maryland. I'm going to Hagerstown, Maryland. And my hotel, I'm staying at the Spring Hill Marriott and Suites. And you bet your your ass. your local restaurant is in Olive Garden? I was looking. I like to do a little research. Of course. (laughs) Travel agent that you are. The travel agent that I am. And you were like, an Olive Garden I should be going to find a cute local fair. But like, why wouldn't I go to Olive Garden? I can't answer that. I think you should go to Olive Garden. I'm going to tell you a story that has nothing to do with olives or gardens. But cannibals? No. Damn. This is a story, and the information I got about this story is from Wikipedia. All that's interesting. 13th floor, the lineup, Esquire, and then a Strange Mag article from Mark Opsasnik. And I'm probably saying that wrong, Mark. I'm I apologize. I'm obsessed with Mark. Obsessed. Me too. So the story that I'm about to tell you, it actually begins in the late 1940s in suburban Washington. Come with me to Washington, D.C. and meet the Hunkler family. The Hunkler family, Sarah, like, has a knowing look. She's already Do you know scared. the story? The Hunkler family is a mom. As it, I'll say it how Koa would say it. A mama, a papa, and a baby. The best kind of family. It's similar to no your judgment. family. <laughs> it's just the same as mine. What if it's just like a woman? <laughs> um, the family. Um, so basically the 13-year-old boy in the family is who I'm about to tell you about. Not totally clear on his name, but I in most that. of the things you read about, they use the pseudonym Roland to protect oh. him. Oh. Because... We're going to find out He could still be alive today. He more than likely, as it was the 40s, what would he be, 80? Be like 80 today. So he grew up like sans pals, sans siblings, solo styles, playing alone with the adults. (laughs) His favorite adult to play with was Aunt Harriet. 
Aunt Harriet considers herself like a bit of a spiritualist, so some of their play involved her teaching him how to use a Ouija board. Don't do that, adults out there. Don't play with Ouija boards. Don't teach children about them. Wait, why not? I just had a Ouija board at my Halloween party. Don't do that. Why? You're asking for it. Do you not know anything about Ouija boards? Okay, you know what? You have a homework assignment. Okay. One of the next times we do this podcast, you are going to tell scary stories about things that have happened to people using Ouija boards. And then I want you to think about it. It did tell me I was going to marry Bob Dylan on on Thursday night. Yeah, you're not. I could change him. (laughs) (laughs) And then Um, I asked if I should make bagel bites. And you know what it said? T9. Like uh, old texting? Totally make nine of them. Totally make nine? No, I said T9, which basically was like, this is 90s, so yes. Oh, great. (laughs) I took it as a yes. It was a hard yes. I had 72. I made them all. So in... 1949, I guess he was a little kid. His Aunt Harriet does end up dying. And after that happens, he starts to experience strange things. He hears scratching noises coming from the floors and walls of his room. Water drips inexplicably from the pipes and walls. His mattress would suddenly move at night. So you're like, Aunt Harriet, is that you? What's the situation? Is there a ghost? There were vases flying and levitating when he was nearby. Flying and levitating? This is Is all... Is this all his hearsay? Is this all his? This is general hearsay from him, but also some of the things are corroborated by his parents, I believe. And the family gets, like, the parents get freaked. They go to their Lutheran pastor, um, Luther. (laughs) Their Lutheran (laughs) pastor. That's funny. Lutheran... No. That's me like, His I'm name a Catholic is... named Calf. That's my mom. My mom's Calf. She's ah. a Catholic name. Oh, I just, that's good. Luther Miles Schultz is who they go to for help, uh, their pastor. And he's like super interested in parapsychology. So he is just the guy to go to. He is like, first of all, knowing what we now know about religion, whatever. I'm not even going to go there. I just did. Um, he, <laughs> he says that he wants to have the boy spend the night at his house. I don't know thank you on that one, uh, but they do. And oh. there was an article in the Washington Post in the 40s that says the minister, self-described as being intensely skeptical, arranges for the boy to spend the night on February 17th in his home. With the boy sleeping nearby in a twin bed, the minister reported that in the dark he heard vibrating sounds from the bed and scratching sounds on the wall. During the rest of the night, he witnessed some strange events, a heavy armchair in which the boy had sat, tilted on its own, tipped over, and a pallet of blankets on which the sleeping boy lay inexplicably moved around the room. So the minister's the one that tells them this, right? So he's like, all this crazy stuff happened in my house. But while he's telling the reporter, he's laughing, which is a, seems like a strange reaction a to these things it's happening. A choice, yeah. And then he says he ad- admonished the boy and he said, look. That's enough of this. It said, listen, kid, <laughs> like, you're which, asleep. Again, I'm, I'm like, now that's a really weird reaction to have, too. <laughs> um, the article ended by saying that the minister called the family doctor and they prescribed phenobarbital for the whole family. What? Wait, what is phenobarbital? So phenobarbital is an old school medication for people with epilepsy that is no longer 
usually prescribed, I don't think. It's old school. Okay. So Schultz tells the boy's parents, I think you should see a Catholic priest. Wait, the Luther Luther Schultz? Indeed he do. Luther, the Luther, Luther Schultz, the Lutheran minister. The Lutheran Luther advises them to see a Catholic Catholic. calf. Unfortunately, the Catholic priest was not named calf. He was Father E. Albert Hughes. And he goes to his superiors and is like, is it cool if I perform an exorcism? Because you like have to get permission for that shit. You can't just willy-nilly exercise them demons. For everything. Except touching children. Well, that's an ask for forgiveness. That's Yeah, it's an ask for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. Uh, totally. So he is like, I'm going to perform this exorcism, but he is pretty much forced to stop when he tries because Roland broke, breaks off a piece of the spring on the mattress and slices him, unlike <gasps> the shoulders. So he's like, ooh, let's T.O.T.O. T-O. Let's go. Let's come back to this later. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not what I was expecting. A few days later, things get worse, though, with Roland because scratches start to appear on his body. um, And one of the scratches forms the word Lewis. I love Roland's mom. She sees this and she's like, I know what this means. We've got relatives in St. Louis. We got to go to St. Louis. So they go to St. Louis and a cousin of their family is attending um, school there, uh, St. Louis University. Slew. I think is that a Jesuit school? Slew. That's funny. That's what we called. I went to Sarah Lawrence and we called it SLU. It's it's SLC, but. Interesting. She puts the Hunklers in touch with another father, Walter H. Halloran and Reverend William Bodern. So there's a bunch of folks involved at this point and witness to Roland's issues. So these Jesuits agree to perform an exorcism on him All with there. the help of some assistants. And there's lot so like there's just a lot of witnesses. And there's a lot of like clergymen here. Oh, a barrel They're of clergy. Stacked. A murder of clergymen. <laughs> um a murder of clergy. <laughs> I think that's the appropriate yeah, term, it's like right? Cro- the, how you count clergymen and crows, same. same. In murders. Same, same, same. Same, same, same. Bodern and Holleran. Notice Bowder and Halloran, B- and Halloran. So it's like butter and oil, but like the priest version. <laughs> butter and Halloran. They notice a pattern in Roland's behavior, which is that he's calm and normal during the day and goes batshit cuckoo at night. Huh. So very haunted house style, right? He would enter a trance-like state and make sounds in like a creepy guttural voice. So that's why he was prescribed epileptic medicine, because they just thought he was like, these were like forms of episode. Oh, wow. Totally. Totally. And there's like another famous case I won't get into of exorcism. Oh, well, Emily Rose. Have you read about her ever? No. The exorcism of... I know that's a movie. Emily Rose? No, that's the movie. It's based on Annalise something with an M, Mm -hmm. and they thought she was epileptic. But she dies of, like, starving to death because she stops, like, eating and drinking water while this is happening to her. And then the people that were overseeing her exorcism are charged with murder by, like, neglect, basically, because they didn't get food in her. Ugh. Anyways, the priests say that they saw mysterious flying objects in the boy's presence Roland would freak out and react violently when he saw, like, sacred objects 
rosary, cross, whatever, he'd like double down on his freak out. Bodern reportedly saw an X appear on uh, Roland's chest, which he was like, oh, it's um, a Roman numeral. It's Roman numeral 10. Mm -hmm. And I think they then drew the conclusion that there were 10 demons inside of Roland's body. That feels like a stretch. It's a jump. It's a jump. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there was like a pitchfork-shaped pattern of red lines that went from Roland's thigh to his ankle and appeared. So basically, just they're working on this for a month. And every single night, they're trying to exercise demons in every single night. Some sort of crazy shit happens with Roland. A month goes by. Evening of March 20th. The exorcism is happening and Roland urinates all over himself and starts shouting and cursing at the priests. And Roland's parents are kind of like, you know what? That's enough. Like, nothing is getting solved. Enough's enough. We want to put our kid at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis and try to get him help there. Um, on April 18th, about a month going to <gasps> the birthday. hospital. Happy birthday. Thinking what happens on my birthday. Um, well, on your birthday, Roland woke up from a seizure and yelled that Satan would always be with him. Oh, not, ooh, not a good gift. No. Return, and you can't return it. No. You can't return it. Or can you? The priests do their usual lane of rosaries and holy relics on him. And that same night, the priests are like, you know what? We're actually, we're going to call St. Michael. And he's going to expel Satan from Roland's body. So they call him up. Well, they call they call Saint speed Michael dial. speed dial Saint Michael. Listen, they got a they're Catholics. They got a direct line to Saint Michael. Well, they do because seven minutes later, Roland comes out of his trance and is like, just says to them really simply and matter of factly, he's gone. And he says to them that he like he then basically recounts that he had a vision that Saint Michael battled Satan on like a battlefield and vanquished him. And then was fine. So there's obviously a lot of people that have read about this case and written about it and reacted to it. And one of the guys, uh, Thomas B. Allen, read all the the journals of the yeah. priests. The priests were keeping, like, some journals of this stuff. And he, he reads it. And the priests emphasize that definitive proof that the boy was possessed by malevolent spirits is unattainable. He could have suffered from mental illness. He could have suffered from sexual abuse. He could have fabricated the whole experience. According to this guy, Thomas Allen, Halloran, remember our friend Halloran that was doing a lot of these exorcisms, expressed skepticism about potential paranormal events before his death. Somebody asked him in an interview, would you have, like, would you say the boy was possessed? Like, definitively, would you say that? And he's like, no, I can't go on record. I've never made an absolute statement about these things because I don't feel I'm qualified. So the general vibe of a lot of people is they say that everyone was seeing what they wanted to. If you were a psychiatrist, you'd be like, he was mentally ill. If you were a priest, it was demonic possession. If you were, and then there were all these writers and film and TV producers or journalists that were involved. And a lot of them, their interest was in the story, right? So it better be a good one. Um, So everyone's serving their own agenda, essentially. Then we've got our friend I told you about at the beginning that you're obsessed with, Mark Obsesnik. And... He is um, an author, and he did a ton of research in the 90s on this case. 
He uh, wrote that after he located and spoke with neighbors and childhood friends of Roland's, he concluded the boy was a clever trickster who just liked to pull pranks <gasps> and fool people in his neighborhood. That's an intense prank is what I want to say. The commitment is astounding. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine if that was a pro- – I mean – I also got to tell you what bothered me about like the priest being like, "Let's call Saint Michael." It's like, really? That's your hail Mary? No, pun- but like, why call aren't Mary? You- call Mary, but also like, call Michael at the beginning of the like. What are you doing? Also, like the fact that there was scratches and he broke a mattress coil. Well, so here's the issue. Yeah. Like, there was just. What do you think? I want to know what you think. Well, are you not qualified either? I'm <laughs> no. I'm. Ex- I'm actually. I'm extremely qualified. <laughs> I'm overqualified, if anything. Um, but then I, I read... a priest is like, I'm not qualified. I'm like, well, then what were you doing in seminary school, dude? Well, so Joe Nickel is an American skeptic and invest... I, th- so I read that about him. I was like, who is this guy? It says, well, if you Google him, he is a skeptic and investigator of the paranormal. But I'm like, wait, you can just be a skeptic? That can be a thing that you are? I want to be a skeptic. I love that job title. I love that job title. Um, well, he is that. And Hi, he... I'm Carrie. I'm a skeptic. So, but like... One of the things he's known for is he exposed Jack the Jack the Ripper diary they found as a hoax. So he's like a hoax finder a little bit. Oh, but I he's think like that an investigative journalist. Yeah, yeah, because he's um, like he's trying to prove that yeah, it's not. Yeah, I guess like a journalist, but like your focus is like to disprove. No, it didn't. It's like your focus. You're like the biggest buzzkill. Like I love that people are like, this is a really cool idea, and he's like. No, and I'm gonna tell you why. Like, what? A, you must be a nightmare at parties. He's basically <laughs> like, I heard about the scratches on his body, and I think that a determined kid, even without a mirror, would have been able to do it. And it seems like he was just using his own. Like, they saw scratches on the body. They weren't checking his fingernails to see if he made them. So it's like he was just scratching words well, into his even body. Even if he did make them, they could justify that it was "quote unquote" the devil making him do it. Like well, that's uh, that's true, but it does say that they did see him at one point scratching the words "hell" and "Christ" on his chest using his own fingernails. So you're like, well, he was doing it. They weren't appearing. Is the point? It was not. Oh my God! It's just showing up on his body from the inside out. It's I'm he like, was scratching, making them. my skin crawl to imagine like scratching things into my body. So like the. Tantrums, the trances, the moved furniture, the scratches, all of it were the kind of things that a kid of Roland's age could accomplish. And it feels like first it was like this poltergeist phenomenon in the house, right? And then it was spirit communication. And then it was demonic possession. And it feels like if you take them, he said, if you take them separately and especially together as one progressing to the other, it suggests nothing so much as role playing involving trickery. Like, this kid was, like, my, like, started throwing shit around the house and pretending that he was maybe dealing with a ghost, and this was right after his aunt died, and then it just, like, progressed into now the ghost is in my body kind of stuff. And they they were also, they were kind of... Wait, I'm confused by that. Is he saying that, like... He's saying Roland was... Making it all up. Making it all up for attention. People were like, well, he was really strong, and he's like, eh, I think he was an agitated teenager. But how did, like, vases, like, float and levitate? He's a magician. He just is an illusionist with, like, a really good backstory. It's long enough ago that I just don't think it's clear who saw what happened exactly. And when push came to shove and they were asking priests, like, say, 
say what you think it was. Like, no one's really willing to say it. But it is a documented case of an exorcism that is one of the only ones we know about that lasted this long. And if you take it just at face value and you don't dig too deep, the story's really scary, which is why they took the name Roland and changed it to Reagan and made the movie The Exorcist based on all these things. So he was the impetus uh, for the authors to write that. Wow. Roland is Reagan. He also grew up, Roland did, and like got married and had kids and lived a super normal life. And Was he at the premiere? Great question. I would love it if they were like, and tonight we have the source material. And he's like, this was the best Oh, prank he did name ever. his son Michael after St. Michael. That's creepy. Um, but his like identity is protected. No one knows his name. So we don't know if he's still alive today, but he could be. What happened to Luther? I don't know what happened to Luther. He, you know what? Luther, what Luther I love about Luther Lutheran. is Luther is like, you know what? Well, I don't know if I like Luther because he's the one that slept over with the boy, right? But I like that Luther was like, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> Peace out. And then just as far as let's let's revisit some of the architecture this madness happened in. The Alexian Brothers Hospital was boarded up and sealed following the exorcism and the entire facility was torn down in 78. What? The house where the family used to live in Maryland is now an empty lot after it was abandoned in the where 60s. Where are they in Hagerstown, Maryland? They moved east. I don't know where they moved. I'm wondering if they're in Maryland because I that's You're where I'm going go right there. now. I'll go visit the house. They, well, the house they lived in on Roanoke Drive sold to new owners in 2005 for $105,000. That's not a lot of money for a house, right? We live in New York. Our homes here, like, it's not the same. Like, I feel like... But $165,000 is not a lot of money for no, a house. No, for sure not. But again, like, there are places... Like, I know people that have bought houses for $40,000. Homes. Homes. That's crazy. <sighs> well, this house Satan lives in. I mean, that had to increase the property value. That's what I wonder. Does it increase or decrease? I and guess it also, would you, you move there? Would you like if you like if no you, no 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 no? You got to be a real skeptic for to move into there. No. Do you know what I mean? Like that's like where you're like, hi, I'm Carrie. I'm a skeptic. I can look at haunted houses. Yeah, I bet a skeptic <laughs> moved in there. Which, by the way, TM. That's a great idea for a um a movie that Quinn and I will write. We're going to write it for you, skeptic, dear readers. A skeptic who like is like, I don't, and then it gets them. Yeah. No one's done that. The old skeptic gets proven wrong. You're right. We're going to write what that. If it's, no, wait, We're what, if it's, what if we miss what, what you just write? We do a skeptic, and all these things happen, and then they're never changed, and they're still a skeptic, and they justify The whole movie is just them justifying everything. You're right. Nobody's ever done that, and it just ends, and they're like, that was weird, but totally explainable. And then it, that's like the last line of the movie. Um, they move and they're like, yeah, they're, they're just it. It's just like a rom com. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's gonna be a rom com. I would only ever write a rom com. I actually would love that movie idea. We write it, and it has no point. And it's <laughs> just, just like all this haunted stuff that happens, and then at the end, they're like, that was weird, and it's scary, but they're never scared. Mm-hmm. Like that actually is huh. really interesting. I have a bunch of fun facts about the movie The Exorcist. That I could present or could omit. They're do a like, couple. Just do a couple. So there were a bunch of deaths during the filming and afterwards. 
And there's two guys that die in the movie in the plot line. And they both died in real life, like, shortly after. And... I hate that. Yeah. And then Linda Blair's grandfather, a guy that worked on its brother, who died on his first day of shooting... The son of Jason Miller, who played Father Damien, was nearly killed like a motorcycle hit him. The janitor in who took care of the building they were shooting in got shot and killed. There was like a, a fire on the set that everything burned and they delayed. And the only thing that didn't burn was Reagan's room. In 87, years after, That's actress... Like Mer- nightmare. Um, actress Mercedes McCambridge, who played the demonic voice... Like, because they had somebody else do the voice of Mm -hmm. the demon. Yeah. Her son murdered his wife and child before taking his life. And then the craziest one is that there's a guy um, in the scene where she's getting, like, maybe it's an x-ray or it's a CAT scan. I really haven't seen the movie in so long. But there's, like, a random technician there. And the reason he's in the movie, he wasn't an actor. They went to a hospital and they were like, can we just use your real crew? And can you show us what you would – just do what you would really yeah. do if this test was happening? Because we want it to seem super real. So he was legit an x-ray technician at the New York University Medical Center. And um, he's in the movie yeah. saying a few things to Reagan when she's getting examined. He is the bag murderer. I don't know if you guys know about him. His name is um Paul Bateson, and he was arrested for killing Addison Verrill. He picked up Verrill at a gay bar, and they went home, had sex, and then he smashed him with a skillet and then stabbed him a bunch of times. And then he goes to jail, and everybody's like, and he starts bragging that he's, like, killed all these gay men and mutilated them and chopped them up and thrown them in the river in bags. And then they legit find bags of people that match that description, but they can't link him to it. But it's basically, like, he ends up serving 20 years to life in jail for killing Addison. But it seems like he definitely was a serial killer and killed all these other oh gay dudes. Oh, my God. But he's out of jail since 2004. And he was a doctor, and he would pick people up, and he'd kill. He'd smash their head and put. I missed that. We part. don't know how he killed. If he was a serial killer, we don't. I don't think we know how he killed everybody. But Addison, he did, and he had no motive. Oh, you don't like. But like, it just feels like there's all these stories about the movie that just make it feel like it's. You scared your truly darkly creepy story. I don't know if I have one truly darkly. My truly darkly creepy story is the Ouija board. That was mine. What that you had a Ouija board. I had a Ouija board Halloween at my Halloween party. party. Did you and you guys used it and it told you to make it. pizza bites. It said T nine, which is response to should I make pizza bites, which feels right, which feels like a hard yes. What else did you ask it? Who I was going to marry, and that was Bob Dylan. They chose. We did A B C. Bob Dylan was B, and they chose B. Oh, so you made it pretty easy on the ghost. No, no, I you said, assumed you had a lazy spirit. I I felt like I was drinking. I didn't. I you know I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on, but I didn't. I didn't choose that. You didn't choose that question. I chose. I said, "Who am I going to marry?" Who chose who A, B, and C? I represented? chose maybe Bob Dylan as a B. I think that's a good choice. Zac Efron was A. Oh, interesting. And C was other. Other. Oh, so, wow. I gave wide options. If the other, I would have asked more questions. But Bob Dylan was the... But Bob Dylan was clearly the winner. I don't know. I'm like, I think I could change him. I do. I'm really good at that. There's only one way to find out. 
through marriage. If I what if I came home and I, what if I came here and I was like, dear readers, listen, I'm dating this guy. He's like he's 87. He's a tambourine guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tambourine man. I guess I should. Yeah. Give him, come on, give him more respect. I gotta than give that. him. He's a tambourine sir, and uh, he has like a like a pretty bad history with women, but I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I hope you find who you're looking for. Somehow I think it's other, but I, I, I wasn't I asked think, to weigh I, in. I'm not even like a huge Zac Efron fan at all. I just was like, to me, I was like, who could be the complete opposite of Bob Dylan? And to me, it felt like Zac Efron. Zac Efron was the answer. Do we feel like Zac Efron is the opposite of Bob Dylan? Young. <laughs> not Bob Dylan. Probably both womanizers. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Everyone in Hollywood is, except Tom Hanks, and he's taken. And he's taken. T A K K K N. Spellers, readers, writers. Dear spellers, readers, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Please. Yeah. Like. Recycle. Follow. We have a lot of advice. Recycle. We have so much. If you want to ask us advice, we're Email here. us at trulydarklycreeply at gmail. Yeah, and also trust your gut. Trust, trust your blink. Your trust blink. your blink. Trust your gut. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. And we'll miss you so, so much. I love you so much, dear readers. I'll think about you when I'm eating unlimited breadsticks and salads tonight. <laughs>